0: Five stars, we are the knuckleheads. The Bloodhound Gang is here to get it on. Rip Taylor couldn't have said it better. They're rude. They're lewd. They're crude. They're awesome. With clever lyrics from Jimmy Pop and Daddy Longlegs, where did he go? You'll be blown away. If you want to get your groove on and laugh at politically incorrect jokes all at the same time, then BHG is definitely for you. This is, uh monkey boy the podcast where we take a look at the uh discography of the bloodhound gang going on a uh, song by song journey through um the uh the history of the band and uh for this first episode we're going to be talking about the first song on their debut album use your fingers i'm your host calvin and uh the first time i listened to the bloodhound gang uh was um Approximately uh at 12 years old, and um the song was uh a lap dance is so much better when the stripper is crying.
1: Uh I'm Jeff uh from Body Academics. And the first time that I listened to Bloodhound Gang was in the office with my counselor, and she it was that bad touch song, and she asked me if I knew what it was about, and it's kind of like just like a weird traumatic moment for me.
2: Uh, My name is Tomas. I never really listened to the Bloodhound Gang uh, prior to this whole COVID-19 thing, uh, when this project started. So I'm coming into this as just a complete newcomer. No familiarity.
3: And uh, this is Vanya. Um, I started listening to the Bloodhound Gang when I was about 10, 11 years old, sometime in like the mid-2000s, um, I think my introduction was seeing a uh, World of Warcraft music video for The Bad Touch. Classic. Fucking classic. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. So, Wild.
0: I figure uh, probably a good place to start is by going over uh, the, the cast of characters that we've got here uh, in the band the uh, wikipedia has over a dozen members of the bloodhound gang uh over the years and a significant portion of them they were out of the band before this album was released but um the the two lead players here are uh jimmy pop who is really the front man of the band and uh daddy longlegs who up through this album was uh at le- at the very least the co-frontman of the band and uh the impression i get is they really co-wrote everything and we also have rip taylor who uh is not a member of the band but um is the only presence in this song and uh this is this is where i learned about rip taylor i i didn't know who he was before this and um listening to this album before deciding to make this show i uh i guess i hadn't assumed that he was someone i should take the time to learn about but uh i'm pretty interested in um who he is as i've as i've kind of gotten to see i've found that uh he seems pretty interesting how do you guys yeah
3: I, I didn't really have any exposure to Rip Taylor, uh, probably because I'm like relatively young. But uh I I did know who he was vaguely because I saw him at the end of the original Jackass movie and some subsequent Jackass projects, uh, and started recognizing him from that. But I too had never really thought to look into him. Uh, any more than that, other than knowing that he was uh, on a Bloodhound Gang album and part of Jackass, just briefly. Um, so I assumed that he was someone that was kind of w- well liked or favored in the skate alternative that 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 whole kind of scene that was around in the early and mid 90s, particularly.
0: Yeah, uh, I had forgotten that he was in the Jackass movies but i think
3: it, it, it's pretty easy to forget it's it's just a a, a pretty small little um just kind of peek moment but uh it is a sort of staple of the films at this point like a cameo almost yeah that's that's a good way to put it
0: definitely i think it also you know it, it does inform kind of how how they made the decision to to feature him on the album because the bloodhound gang does have a uh, a lot of strong connections with jackass and i'm hoping that we'll get an opportunity to explore those more in depth going forward but yeah the connections are non-trivial
1: something that i found that was super interesting was that rip taylor was uh, a friend of liberace and cut the ribbon at the like the auction or like his estate sale or something
0: this is a point where I am like showing my cards as uh culturally dead, but um I don't know who uh Liberace is actually.
1: Okay, so that's fine. Okay. I'm not gonna like be a gay that like judges you on not knowing like a Broadway diva or something because I like f- don't give a shit about Liberace. <laughs> uh, but he was just like the super queer like piano player in vegas oh watch the hbo movie um but it kind of makes sense to me that he was friends with Liberace because they're both like some fucking old queens you know what i mean yeah like Liberace is like plays fucking piano with like in sequins with like candles and rip taylor is just like this old ass gay just like throwing confetti everywhere i just thought that was interesting totally i don't really know much about rip taylor either um, I've just seen him in some movies. I feel like I've seen him in something other than Jackass, but I can't quite place it.
0: Yeah, I, I saw him in some interviews. Um and uh I I definitely appreciate like I, I feel like I got a sense for his kind of show presence and um I think that, that that friendship that you brought up totally makes sense um just from glazing on this Wikipedia page really quick because it's feels like that was a very different era in um you know queer culture and uh like I don't know yeah the the sort of public demonstration of queer culture this introduces a thematic element that I would like to carry through this entire show which is looking at the bloodhound gang through a uh lgbt issue and awareness lens <laughs> because i think that the band has had a slightly complicated relation to the concept of gay and queer
1: are there any openly homophobic lyrics like really bad ones that you're aware of colin
0: yes i mean i think that the value judgments like in deciding which lyrics are the most homophobic um is something that i'm i'm kind of more interested in investigating than in taking hard stances on at this point but uh i think pretty unequivocally they are both a homophobic band and a homoerotic band
3: they have that um kind of classic like um archetype of sort of toxically masculine but to the point where they're pretty dang gay in in a lot of instances those kind of flirtations with uh with queerness without ever like you know explicitly being like yeah we're queer because it doesn't really seem like any of the band members are like um gay or anything but they do all like there's a lot of like playfulness with those concepts that they that they use but it definitely seems like they are relatively uh homophobic either for like shock value or because it was just culturally acceptable at that point in time uh or any other number of reasons but there are some like kinds of backstory to things that happen with the band outside of music that i feel like complicate that this this dynamic even further um (laughs)
0: yeah we'll have a we'll have a chance to go into those as soon as we get into the the spanky g era yeah (laughs) i mean for now i think that like just while we're talking about the members who are in the band at this point i i have some relatively canonical references that, that i can cite in my uh my hypothesis that at least on on some level of his personal life jimmy pop is actually a uh comfortable self-actualized bisexual i don't know if he was there at this point um but i i would like to believe that that is the man he is today i can see it and um uh, i i don't i i you know I, I don't know how much uh anyone else would like to speculate on a, a stranger's sexuality but no nah, he um, has my bi- vibes this abs like yeah and and this band absolutely i think this you band know, has bi- I- if vibes, anyone dude. has given you if if anyone gives you permission to you know say whatever you want about them i think it's the bloodhound gang and in specific jimmy pop so that's another reason why I'm super excited for this project generally.
2: I, I will say that just, you know, coming into this, reading their lyrics, it almost seems like they're they're trying too hard to be sincere. You know, it, it's it's almost, uh, they're like flirting with Poe's law. It's just hard to tell if they're uh, incredibly sincere or just poking fun in the most extreme possible way. And I, I think it's the latter. That's my take um, as someone who's completely new to this
0: yeah I don't, I don't know if there's any sort of explicit like personal connections here but like on an ideological standpoint i feel like the bloodhound gang is very similar to south park
2: yeah i i, I actually never watched south park uh either
0: to just make list the comparisons i guess off the top of my head you know they both very strongly um represent themselves as not taking a stance as so much as being willing to poke fun or take down any other stance right but it that that sort of aspect to to go maybe one level beyond like the first sentence of an interview i feel like there is like a sort of transparency that that becomes very obvious and often is the, uh, the first point of criticism that is many of these things have serious implications beyond thinking about them as jokes and even more than that, it, it is, feels rather obvious that like these are these are people who are earnestly throwing themselves into something and they are representing themselves in it as, mu- as separate as they'd like. they have clearly worked their identity into their work. Right, that makes sense
3: especially in this era after that i would argue that it's a little bit more J- jimmy pops identity being worked into um, being worked into the music but for up, up until up through this album as a band i think is when it's definitely this bizarre conglomeration of all of little bits and pieces of all of the people that have had been part of the band uh, like up until they got this final lineup for the record Um, and actually like put it down where a lot of those songs are, I'm sure composed by the core members, but there's still that, like the, the sort of attitude that they have seems to have been informed from all of the people in the project up until eventually you can kind of see Jimmy Pop's influence starting to dominate. And it becomes kind of a slightly different sort of beast, but, uh, I don't know that's what that's what's so interesting about this particular album at least to me.
0: Yeah, from someone who know like yeah, from someone who knows the whole discography, this album is um just very creatively different for that reason I think. Um and like is interesting for that reason because the other frontman at this point um Daddy Longlegs has you know his own very interesting career that we could go into and i don't know yeah i'm i'm looking forward to trying to understand like to to kind of hearing the the dynamic of the voices
1: um so i was in middle school in like the early 2000s and the people that i knew that like actually had the bloodhound gang cd were like juggalo adjacent or juggalos or like kind of like bad kids and my parents don't want me to hang out with and i feel i don't know i feel like when you listen to icp like you kind of know it's a joke and i feel like those people approach that like the bloodhound gang the same way and i kind of get the same vibe from the bloodhound gang that i get with icp that it's all kind of tongue-in-cheek but it's very hard to tell the times in this like first record um and then in the release with bad touch on it, it's kind of like, it's it's yeah. hard. But I don't know. Sorry that that ICP comparison has no, just I been like I in wanna, my head I want to zero in on out. the
0: ICP comparison potentially repeatedly. But as we get into Daddy Longlegs, I think that will come up more because um in Broad Strokes he left the band because uh of frustration with their record deal following the release of this album and uh, went to uh, form a band known as Wolfpack with 1C, which is actually still around to this day and um, I believe will host the bare-knuckle boxing competitions that occur at Gathering of the Juggalos. Uh, I found this out by checking out the Wolfpack YouTube channel, which uh, we'll link in the show notes, but has some really incredible content um, that is even more juggalo adjacent.
3: It seems that the Bloodhound Gang, the more that you look into um, the specific connections that they have and where their members ended up and what they've done and whatnot, and sort of just who they toured with, who they have done things with, you can kind of see the Bloodhound Gang is sort of kind of like at the heart of multiple different uh, kind of cultural movements all in the uh 90s and early 2000s and it's kind of bizarre because it doesn't seem like they played that huge of a role in any of them but you can kind of link them to to everything they kind of they they really have a wide web of um just like associations and it's surprising uh but i feel like it was somewhat apparent depending on uh where you were and uh, who you were when the Bloodhound gang was, like, at the height uh, of
0: their popularity. Um, Daddy Longlegs is the Sid Barrett of the Bloodhound gang.
1: Fair. I was going to ask if Daddy Longlegs was on Psychopathic, to be honest. Because it just, like, I Googled him, and his hair was just like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, you have to be on Psychopathic. Hella not. Um, I don't... No, no surprise. Wolfpack has performed at The Gathering since 2004.
0: Yeah, um, I so he he had his own record label called Sugar Daddy Productions. um, And that I think also connects a little bit to an interesting thing about Wolfpack, which is from the beginning, they have released softcore porn alongside all of their music um, as as part of their broad cultural experience. Incredible. And uh, I, I'm gonna actually check real quick to see if they've released on Psychopathic. Um, I think the answer
1: is no, but uh, definitely, definitely good, good friends. They're on or were on Megaforce Records, which has kind of a ridiculous lineup of artists.
0: I I am not familiar with Megaforce. I'm I'm looking
1: at it now. Anthrax, Disco Biscuits. That's really damn yeah. Testament dos racist cindy Lopper? wait holy okay, fuck that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was just gonna be metal only no, dos like, racist
0: the the, yeah the-
1: Hank three bro <laughs> the- jesus sorry i took us somewhere no this
0: is crazy i i think that this this rabbit hole we may have to cut it some like we'll probably have to cut it at some point but uh i'm i'm glad we went here
1: yeah i'm falling dude they were on Wolfpack. Was on Pawn Stars.
0: Oh man, that. <laughs>
1: Sorry, dude. <laughs> no,
0: that's great.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> what, what 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 was the context for their appearance on Pawn Stars? Uh,
1: I I don't see I don't. There's nothing on Wikipedia, but. I don't know, dude. You need to look at this shit. Okay. Maybe I'm. I ate some RSO earlier, let's, but
0: let's make a note. Let's just make a note to to come back to um to Wolfpack on pawn uh, on Pawn Stars because we we just okay. need to do our own research on you know like we need to do some some independent investigation on that.
1: Um. That's a that's a Patreon bonus episode. <laughs> 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 um, does anyone else have anything
0: on uh on on the the band at this point or this song
3: i have uh i i have like one one more thing I can say about this song and uh the band in general um I think that the thing that is the most interesting about this whole album is in fact this kind of bizarre opener um which is just a monologue from rip Taylor because I feel like it speaks volumes about their attitude in general, sort of going back to the topic about um, how uh, th- this sort of kind of informs their their relation and proximity to queerness. I, I think that this even can be even further extrapolated to kind of be like the perfect um, picture of the band as a whole just, particularly because they hired uh, like a, you know, a well-known comedian in kind of in their circles and um, who was like, uh, had a pretty large cultural presence. And the whole thing is pretty much just kind of random, like crude jokes and making fun of the Bloodhound gang. And so the first thing that you hear, if you bought this record right when it came out and it was your introduction to the Bloodhound gang, because their first like, proper studio album Um, so it'd be a lot of people's introduction uh, is just this um, comedian that you might know of at the time just totally taking this band down and just kind of like you know uh, joking around about it and that is like the first thing that you hear that sets the tone for the album and I think that that like just willingness to to throw themselves under the bus I don't know. It's just, they, they, they really, you know, don't take themselves too seriously, which is like stylistically, which is really funny because, you know, later on it, it, it becomes apparent that Jimmy Pop is sort of like a, you know, perfectionist control freak who takes all of this very, very seriously. But, but their, their, their tone is so like, completely uh, not serious and just kind of uh, willing to just uh, take the piss out themselves. And I, I I love it. I think it just, it's a perfect illustration of sort of like their apparent flippantness with uh, their art, which is so interesting because it's so contrived, maybe not so much on this album, but especially seeing this starting off their discography and then Listening to their later works, it it, it's 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 a really perfect way to start off their band discography from a band that was very
1: meticulous.
0: Yeah, no, it's hard to not read into this a little bit.
1: I thought that it was just it just struck me that the first thing that you hear on the record is like a gay man talking. Like I don't know.
2: And a gay man has
1: talking shit, also, yeah, yeah, game they paid a gay man to read them, and that kind of sets the tone.
0: Yeah, one thing that is probably worth mentioning here is, of course, if you did not know that uh, Rip Taylor passed away last year, there was a a really interesting tweet conversation actually between Daddy Longlegs and Jimmy Pop, where um Daddy Longlegs posted on um October sixth. One of the best memories was when we were put out our first major record, Use Your Fingers, on Colum- Columbia. We, I and Jimmy Pop, had a budget and were able to, able to hire comedy legend Rip Taylor to do our album's introduction. Equals gold. You will be missed. R.I.P. Rip Taylor. And he has a picture of uh, his autographed photo of Rip Taylor. And... Uh, and yeah jimmy pop responds you know saying that he has to find his and um no they they do really love rip taylor i think that that should not be
1: it it could uh, probably be
3: reasonably inferred that they not only really love rip taylor but are quite influenced by rip taylor in the way they go about their humor not at every turn but in general, I would say that they do have sort of a similar flamboyancy with how they approach um, comedy.
0: If if we ever get an interview with uh, members of the Bloodhound gang, I think that's absolutely a question that is worth consi- worth posing.
1: <laughs> that, was some, that was some shit, Vanya.
0: Does anyone else have anything?
1: I'm to I'm totally done, Cal. We we can probably move on to the uh to the the lyrical section.
0: Yeah, for uh I guess cuz this is our first time, we're just going to read through each uh each lyric of this song and um take a take a break every couple moments to um to give our give our thoughts. So It'll be somewhere between a dry read and the cadence that I uh, originally heard. Hey, dot dee, dot a deet, dot da, 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 da. This is Rip Taylor. Hey there, sprinkle genies. Ha ha. So, um, has anyone heard the term sprinkle genie before?
1: No,
2: I had never heard this up. I did. I did look it up though. I found two things. One is that it could be a slang term referring to people who like lurk bars for empties to like drink other people's dregs for free drinks um but also it was the mascot of a short-lived uh breakfast cereal in the mid-90s called sprinkle spangles (laughs) Oh,
0: my God. And the
2: the mascot was the Sprinkle Genie, who was, he was voiced by Dom DeLuise. Do you know, do you know what year that, um, oh,
0: man, I'm, I'm looking into Sprinkle Spangles now, um, (laughs) the mid-90s. Mid-90s. Do we have any more detail on that?
2: The Wikipedia article is dinky. Or, it wasn't even Wikipedia, it was, like, some fucked up internet archive thing.
1: So, I'm... I'm looking at the sprinkle genie right now, and he is just Rip Taylor. Like I found a picture of him, and he's literally throwing confetti, and he's super gay. He has on like gold jewelry and like a vest with like gold em- yeah. embellishments and like multicolored like hair and an- This an is earring. yeah. This
0: is um. I just found on an article that uh, Sprinkle Spangles made its debut in 1993, which is sounds absolutely perfect in my head. I think it will be important to differentiate between the purple Sprinkle Genie, which is the mascot of the cereal that uh, you were describing, and uh, the green Sprinkle Genie, which uh, appears on a few pieces of artwork that were sold by the bloodhound gang on uh t-shirts um so i guess just a i could go into the the green sprinkle genie in a sec but um tomas did you have anything else there
2: no i've got no no further info there cool
0: yeah that that totally answers the question for me as to where the term came from uh in 1997 at least i'm going off of a uh, internet archive. The uh, Bloodhound Gang on their website sold a Sprinkle Genie t-shirt, which was uh, green and has a very poorly rendered logo, at least on the website, of what would supposedly be the Sprinkle Genie, which is, I'd say, uh, uh, probably a, a much grosser cartoon figure. I'll- send a link to it real quick so you guys can take a look at it
2: oh yeah that's fucked up yeah
0: the the description of the t-shirt says um that the the cotton tees and forest green similar to the color of your excrement after drinking too many blueberry slurpees with a picture on the front of the lovable sprinkle genie clutching his own genitals available in l and xl these shirts are a steal at
1: $20, only $30 if they're used. It's ugly. It looks bad. It, yeah. It looks like a shitty summer camp or something. It's like an oval with a graphic and like wraparound text.
0: It's, that is um, not an incorrect characterization of a lot of their 90s merch. There's also a, a Sprinkle Genie on a 7-inch uh, they released called uh, One Censored Beer Coaster. Which uh, we'll get into as we uh, once we get to that, but um, it seems to also feature the Sprinkle Genie, despite seemingly having um, no explicit reference points. There's also a review of this album that was um, written by Vimfuego on Metal Music Archives, um, perhaps elsewhere. It's a uh, an excerpt of a Q&A which I I have to believe at one point was posted by the Bloodhound Gang and it includes um Q and what is a sprinkle genie A you really really don't want to know
3: I uh, I wonder if it was um initially a reference to uh the 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 sprinkle spangles sprinkle genie or potentially its other uh, kind of uh, general usage, and slowly morphed into a uh, sort of in-joke, general like self-referential humor within the band, that occasionally escaped outside of uh, outside of their circle into their their merchandise or whatnot
0: yeah i'd be really curious what the origin story of the other definition of spring the first definition that you presented was because part of me that loves seeing the world through the bloodhound gang would like to hypothesize that jimmy pop decided to you know that the the band decided to immortalize the concept just kind of through their self-referential tendencies and um their fascination with obscure 90s kids culture and the result was a term that found a secondary completely unrelated meaning on um i don't know urban dictionary or wherever you may have found that
2: wait hold on i have a fucked up theory so i i believe that the that the sprinkle genie actually like did something to the cereal like a you know a breakfast cereal mascot would called sprinkling it or like spangling it or something so i uh-huh. i think the joke of the bloodhound gang's sprinkle genie may be that he uh ejaculates into people's food
3: that sounds correct yeah, yeah oh shit! yeah absolutely reasonable.
2: so the the little jingle is, because they spangle every angle with sprinkles. <laughs> so I, I think that probably checks out. No,
1: fuck! <laughs> oh, he ha- the genie comes in your food for sure. Yeah. This
2: is bad. <laughs> that's, that,
1: that, wow. That's
2: incredible.
0: <laughs> I, this, is a, this is a window into, uh, I have to imagine that for being in the band in the way that, that a group of people develop like uh, a hyper specific set of meanings and references. Yeah. No, this is, <laughs> I, I that's very convincing. I feel
1: like I just had a breakthrough the therapist. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you know that midgets make up a small percentage of the population? Ha. Not half. Up to here. Ha ha.
1: Hey. Woo. Okay, so this made me realize that like this was made in the 90s i was like oh okay cool like i don't know that it just took me back to when that was chill which is weird
0: yeah no totally um th- there's a lot of use of the word midget um in the bloodhound gang um at least at least in the 90s um it'll
1: it'll come back yeah that's a big conversation that's a whole thing that's a there's a lot there
3: it's also a theme throughout the rest of the associated '90s cultural circles that the Bloodhound Gang were a uh, proxy to. It's uh, it's it's kind of a. I, I feel like the best way to put it is is really how 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 Jeff said that it just kind of immediately dates it to the time that it was released, and not only like its general era, but specifically like target pinpoints a few different subcultures in the nineties that were just like really, really enjoyed saying that word and uh either making jokes to it or like uh jackass where they had like a little person on their team and like, you know, it was sort of like a big yeah. it was part, part of the joke, but also like I don't know, it's jackass, it's more of like a weird gray area where it's like, I don't know, there there's there's like a lot of humor about it but also um Wee Man is like into the into joking about that too at the same time so it's like this, this kind of weird part of history whereas the, the Bloodhound gang I feel like were are probably just you know
0: yeah I, I mean as far as I could tell the closest the Bloodhound gang got to having any close ties with little people was just calling Spanky G a, a midget
2: what it? What is
0: Spanky G? Spanky G was their drummer, starting after this album.
2: Interesting.
0: Known for his youthful appearance, among other things.
2: Oh, dude, he's so yeah. Well, oh, there'll, there'll be see, plenty of time to, to talk about because he's pretty uh, short. Spanky that's G. Wa- that's um, the connection. Okay.
3: I I got there. He also looks about twelve. It's it, it's kind of wild.
0: mm Hmm. There's a lot to go into with Spanky G. Um. But seriously, don't you think it's time we had a female president with big gazooms, oh, ta tutis, tatatutatas, tatas, baba bing bangs, big jugs? Get it?
2: Hello, Dolly. So pretty clear what's being said here.
3: No, I, I don't. I don't get it.
2: What, what are they talking um. about?
3: Do you care to elaborate
2: oh yeah, well i I guess the irony well, and actually, this is I guess an interesting conversation to have. Rip Taylor, as I understand, was not publicly gay uh for the large majority of his career, so it it would not have necessarily been immediately clear that that this was not sincere is i I don't know, I'm sort yeah. of posing that as a question
1: um. I'm trying to find one when Rip Taylor came out. It was previously I couldn't find it, but I'm gonna try that right now just because I think that is that is important. worth noting.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just I read this quote where where somebody called him openly gay and he like fucking went off. He was like, "You don't know me to presume that I'm openly gay." Um,
1: and that was in like 09? I don't. I, I don't believe.
2: know honestly. Just it was from his um, Wikipedia. Yeah, in two thousand nine. But he was he was married in the '60s, I guess, to a to a woman,
1: which is like a total classic move yeah. for that time. Yeah. I the my first thought on this was that he talks about boobs like an in the closet gay man, <laughs> <Or> he, just, <laughs> he talks about boobs like a gay dude, or like I don't know. It just struck me; it was really strange. Yeah, I. I don't think I've ever uh, heard anyone. Tati tattoos yeah <laughs> it's almost artistic and then he says hello dolly which is just like obviously a broadway musical
0: yeah i don't yeah. know the way that and then
1: true. dolly parton huge tits
0: the way that he's he's able to to the way that he gets to hello dolly like on a cadence level is something that i tried to to bring across but i think that 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 sort of like transition from from saying hello in a sarcastic tone to saying hello dolly is like probably one of the most like intentional jokes of this whole song and and I don't I I have absolutely no clue what to make of it um like like so much of this
1: this is a weird song to start on because it's just an interlude and yeah no it, I
0: don't know. I, and and I guess to be to be clear, I think this is the only interlude we're going to cover as as it's a standalone episode and I just figured it would be good cuz there is so much here, but yeah, it's definitely a definitely an odd place. And I um I was going to say that the the question that I would want to answer about this section is how much of this passage and how much of this whole song was actually written by Rip Taylor? Like, did he put any like lexical influence I- into these lyrics? Because my impression is likely that it was written at least primarily by Jimmy Pop and Daddy Longlegs.
1: I think that that's important to know, honestly, for me to like further try to like break this song down and figure it out in my mind yeah i'm gonna look that up i i have one piece of
0: evidence in either direction the the copy of this song that i've been finding on youtube which is uploaded by the bhg collection hd is um includes the note lyrics by jimmy pop and and daddy long legs and uh that might be an album note but If it is a song note, then um, that's one answer. And the other place that I'm pulling from is on the Bloodhound Gang Use Your Fingers entry for Discogs, which I have to assume is taken from the liner notes. Um, Jimmy Pop and uh, Daddy Long Legs have joint writing credits for two, three, seven, nine. 11 13 14 16 17 so so they're not credited as writers for this song in the
1: liner as far as i can tell does jimmy pop have any social media presence i think he's on twitter isn't he
3: yeah you can uh he'll he he's pretty responsive to people i know some people that uh interact with um jimmy pop and uh daddy long legs both on twitter somewhat frequently so um, it seems like they're definitely reachable.
0: We could come back to this hypothetically with an answer on that because I would like to create a, a Twitter for this podcast. Oh yeah, and um, add every single past and present member of the Bloodhound Gang that I can, <laughs> as well as um, any potential uh, expert seeming people who may be interested in in contributing <laughs> something to uh, Bloodhound Gang content in the future anything else on on this before
3: i have nothing to back this up but i get an impression from just just from how it sounds how like what what like the particular like cadence that this whole song is read in um and some of the ways that things are said i get the feeling that jimmy pop and daddy longlegs hired rip taylor and when he came in they told him to just wing it but to hit particular notes probably the second half of the song um when he sort of just like talks down about them i imagine that they asked him specifically to do that but otherwise gave him yeah uh a free reign to do whatever because the first half it just feels sort of like 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 rip taylor uh trying to thematically match the rest of this album with his comedy and I know that, like, the way that when, when you, like, hire someone to come in and record something in a studio, it's, a, it's not necessarily going to be a written part. Um, it's often expected of a performer to be able to write their own parts. So um, especially with comedians, um, because that's sort of their whole bread and butter and why people enjoy them. So I, I would I would wager that most of this is Rip Taylor rather than um, Jimmy Pop and Daddy Long Legs. But once again, that's just, uh, there. There's I have no factual evidence to back that up.
0: I, I see some insight with that. Anyway, um, moving forward, is this microphone on? Hello? Anybody out there, can they hear me? Somebody call my agent. My hair is lifting. Please, what am I doing here? I have a note for this, which is that, Somebody call my agent, my hair is lifting, is um, the, the quote that Jimmy Pop tweeted on um, October 6th of last year, which um, that is the day that uh, Rip Taylor passed away. So I think that line comes up in various points in, in Bloodhound Gang, like internet archive stuff that I've found. And um, that seems to be uh, a line that, that the band really likes. You're probably saying to yourself, why the hell would a comedic virtuoso like Rip Taylor want anything to do with these half-witted white trash crotch goblins, the Bloodhound Gang?
3: I gotta say, I love this term crotch goblins that I've never heard anywhere else except for in this particular Rip Taylor monologue. But uh, (laughs) the description of the Bloodhound gang as uh, half-witted white trash crotch goblins seems like one of the uh, more fitting and um, thematically consistent uh, descriptions of the Bloodhound gang I've heard in general.
0: Definitely. The uh, crotch goblin in general just reeks of Bloodhound (laughs) gang inside joke.
3: It definitely
1: does.
0: I don't think I found any explicit reference to the term.
1: Um... Hey y'all, I gotta get going and make some dinner.
0: Okay, cool. Did you have any notes about the the any of the last bits?
1: This is like really interesting. I'm just because it's not even a, it's just a Rip Taylor monologue. It's just like a trip starting out the podcast like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, looking forward to like digging into musical elements. Um, yeah, I I didn't really. I've listened to like three songs on this record and I'm looking forward to like fucking with it. Cause the next song sounded like it was like a doll's effect song or something.
0: Yeah. The next song is comparatively dense. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. So, like I'm, uh, I'm ready. Um, so cool. just, yeah. Take care of y'all. Have a good one. Have, have a nice. good one. All right. Lady.
2: Cool. Does anyone else have anything to say on that, uh, on those sections? crotch goblin is interesting crotch goblin has a lot of uh variable meaning from what i've read uh it seems like it's used pretty interchangeably for like a general disrespectful term for children um but also just like
0: Mm, that i i so i found that and then i forgot about it for this episode but um
2: yeah so so there's that but also it has other meanings which i think are more like, I don't necessarily associate children with crotch cotton. I don't
0: either. Um, I, I That makes sense as the intended definition for this yeah. line. Um, But I'm curious about the other definitions.
2: Yeah, and that's where, you know, I mean, shit gets dicey with a lot of these Bloodhound Gang lyrics. Um, one, of course, urban dictionary uh, definition that I found was any foreign object that unexpectedly appears in your underwear
0: Okay, that sounds that sounds more like Urban Dictionary than it does sound like Bloodhound Gang.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna let you make the call on that. Otherwise it's just sort of like a general pejorative, you know, just like you fucking crotch goblin.
0: I I think that the the sort of self proclaimed white trash label is is interesting. I, I I mean I think that it does kind of connect with the the overall idea that the bloodhound gang see themselves as the people that make fun of everyone including themselves like to go back to the south park comparison i i feel like i don't see a lot of 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 attempts at appropriating the w-
2: white trash label you're talking about the reclamation of of white trash as a as a label
0: yeah i don't i i think like i i guess i yeah it it seems less common than other other attempts at reclamation.
2: I just I just haven't seen it so much, you know, I think is part of it. Um, yeah, it's really, I, I don't think my place to comment on that. Oh, well, listen, folks,
0: the answer is very simple. Ha <laughs> ha. American cashito. Dollarinis. No checks. They paid me, you heiny hobbit. Why else?
2: <laughs> so fucking great.
0: And yeah, no, I think that's even that—that's an even better term. I'm just doing a quick Google on that. Tiny habit. Oh man, I need quotes. I'm not really seeing anything no. I'm finding it come up all over the place, but only, but but just in use. So, uh, you know, um, it just seems to to be a thing that people say to to other people oh wait it might just be that it came out of the bloodhound gang okay yeah this is a conversation here on on a uh, 2009 in um the western carolina university gaming club <laughs>
2: <laughs> i see that too
0: <laughs> where um, <Nice. laughs> where uh uh someone Ooh. calls someone a crotch goblin and then <laughs> someone else tells them to watch their mouth the same person then calls them uh the person who tells them to watch their mouth a hiney hobbit and then um says that his sense of humor goes unappreciated oh i'm getting moist i mean come on let's face it kids pardon me but they are a bunch of knuckleheads
3: i think this last line is uh is great because it, it you know immediately uh leads into the the first like song on the record that comes right after that, so uh, honestly, I still think that that could be either rip Taylor or uh or like something that Jimmy Pop and uh daddy longlegs asked him to say but i I, I just think that's a good way to to end the um the monologue and also I just um uh, appreciate uh this this relatively early mimetic reference to people being uncomfortable at the word moist true
0: oh yeah
3: because i'm sure you know that that's 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 why he says it <laughs> well, that flew right past me
0: yeah no that um i i'm curious whether the the getting moist is a bloodhound gang or a rip taylor right but um i i feel like i have to imagine that to the extent that you mentioned earlier.
2: Right. Well it leads directly into the next track. So I mean I feel like that's gotta be intentional, you know?
0: Yeah. And um while we're while we're talking about rhetorical concepts, in addition to this call forward, there's actually a, a call back to Rip Taylor in We Are the Knuckleheads, which we'll get to next
2: episode. Well but even I mean, yeah, it it just it reads like a call and response. You know, it's they are a bunch of knuckleheads. Who's the knuckleheads? We are the knuckleheads. It's perfect. It's like they're talking to one another.
0: Yeah. I I had an English teacher at uh the junior college who um who talked about four layers of literature analysis or or analysis of a work where the most top you had the narrative, you had broadly broadly speaking, you had metaphor um within the text thirdly you had the dynamic of the the character elements or you know the actors of the text and on the fourth level you had the overarching allegory of the text and uh part of his explanation for why uh shakespeare was such a rhetorically potent author is because he consistently engaged the audience on all four levels of a text and i think each one of these elements in just this first album
2: yeah i mean i think i think you're correct in that estimation
0: is there uh is there anything else um that you guys have on on this song generally or um on this last line
3: i think i'm pretty tapped out on uh notes for the uh the the read through of this and for the song in general um i i will say uh, i guess the last thing is just to reiterate that yeah i totally agree that um when i when you start really breaking it down like most major label albums are relatively meticulous because they're that's sort of the the point but um the bloodhound gang just throughout their entire professional discography is wildly um like just detailed um there's just a whole lot of detail and a whole lot of like density that you wouldn't really expect with the thematic elements and sort of just i i mean you know you look most people are like yeah bloodhound gang like just some like oh, they're that that like joke band or whatever like but no they actually like have a lot more like substantial Layering and like I don't really want to say like substance because I feel like they don't have a whole lot of of substance, but they definitely have a whole lot to uh, explore and dig through that is substantial in nature.
0: Definitely. So the other um, the other relevant um, question on uh, the other relevant point on this um, use your fingers review by uh, Vim Fuego was. Um, Q. Is that really Rip Taylor on the first track? A. Yes, it is. Q. So who's Rip Taylor? A. A camp American comedian known for being fat, having spiky hair, throwing confetti when he tells jokes, and being camp. Also known as the Prince of Pandemonium. And, uh.
3: The Prince of Pandemonium is quite a title. Yeah. So I I have
2: a weird thing here, and I I don't know. I figure this might be a good time to do it since we're sort of waiting around. Um,
0: yeah.
2: I feel like so I'm I'm big into comics, that side of things. Um, and I noticed some similarities in the trajectories of um fucking Rip Taylor and weirdly the Joker. Um, because they were roughly contemporary. Um, so let me grab my notes for this. Ooh. Um. So Rip Taylor was born in 1931, and the Joker debuted in 40. And the Joker became this sort of like, like dastardly goofball in the 50s due to a change in comic book regulations. Um, and Rip Taylor's career really started to take off for like TV and radio in the 60s from, you know, just sort of cursory research.
0: Real quick, do you know what those uh, comparison, what those, the regulations were?
2: Oh uh yeah it's sorry i don't remember the exact name um yeah i just know nothing about this um, yeah as- so there's yeah so it's called the comics code authority um and there's actually a uh a symbol that appeared on every single comic published up until like 2010 or 11 um that says approved by the comics code authority and it's got this little emblem um because basically uh, back in the '50s, comics were the target of the sort of like elderly population who this kind of media is ruining our youth, uh, sort of movement. So like we had yeah. we had the same sort of thing about like violent video games and yeah. and, and rap in in the U.S. Uh, in like the '90s and 2000s, right? So basically, this comic regulation thing happened, and the Joker. Turned into this sort of like silly villain as opposed to like the sort of edgy character that we're used to now. So, specifically, I want to talk about the Cesar Romero Joker in the 60s because this is where I think there are a lot of really interesting similarities because the Joker is this flamboyant, sexually ambiguous, like snappy dresser, but with really loud colors and like you know, funky hair, that whole shtick. And, and he started taking on these really, like, classic clown gags, like squirting flowers and uh, game shows and things like that. And, and Rip Taylor, being involved in the nightclub scene and, and the entertainment industry, had, a, like, a similar stage presence as this emotionally complex, you know, Taylor had this whole, uh, the, the crying comedian thing yeah and yeah i definitely yeah and it's this weird like like um emotionally complex comedy that i think is really interesting and i i came into this knowing as much about rip taylor as i knew about the bloodhound gang which was nothing um so it's been interesting to see this weird like i think rip taylor may have inspired some of the development of of the joker and therefore batman in the in the 50s that. and 60s which is like the weirdest thing ever to me but it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that's I have no idea
2: if it's true also. No, I, I looked into That sounds
0: very plausible of uh, from the I I I know nothing about comics but that sounds very plausible as someone who, you know, only knows the Joker like pretty much through Christopher Nolan movies.
2: Right. In the 60s you had superheroes that were like, you know, super friends, uh the fucking like Batman with the white eyebrows and shark yeah. repellent. Like um it was a different time for comics. They were much more like family friendly, sort of happy go lucky, do gooders and and uh ne'er do wells sort of sort of vibe. Yeah. No Which that's is not to say that there wasn't like fucked up weird dark shit happening in comics in the 60s because of course there was, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the it wasn't the standard, you know, it wasn't the big the big names yeah as much
0: yeah no i mean i think that the the connection between the comics and uh the comic is uh yeah very good
2: actually <laughs> <laughs> i don't know It just i i think part of it is that i saw rip taylor's face and he had this huge like elastic grin on and and it just like looked like um you know Cesar romero in his in his joker makeup doing this big wacky face and it, and they had you know the same like loud suit and and all of that shit and it was like kind of cool to see because it was never a parallel i i would have expected
0: yeah no i'm looking at it now and i totally feel that their faces definitely like they they they're making the same expression right um i mean you know in
2: yeah just kind of a weird thought i had like yesterday leading up to this any anything else no i've got nothing to add
3: yeah, I think I think it's all for me.
0: Cool. I think we've made um, enough grandiose statements and uh, gone on enough tangents yeah. for one episode. So, yeah, that
3: that one. I I feel like even once it's edited down, it'll be a bit longer than I expected us to to get out of the first episode. Which which bodes well. There's a lot to dig through, and I feel like with the actual songs, it'll be more straightforward. But there will definitely be even more to dig through. So yeah, I feel like there's definitely enough uh stuff to talk about here yeah to to make this work i think
0: yeah and i for what it's worth um i don't if anyone is listening and uh feeling unsatisfied i don't think we've reached the end of introducing the bloodhound gang as a concept and and going over how everything got started uh we'll we'll be doing that throughout this whole album um so uh anything else No, I'm good to go. Great.